Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Yeah, so I mean, all in all, uh, it was a it was a well run debate, and I think you know I got a text from a listener who also watched the debate last night. Ron says, "Good morning, Shay. Yes, I agree entirely with you. It was a really good debate, a good format. Nobody really won or lost, but we got to hear lots of their opinions and their ideas on how to go forward. It was a good job. I agree. I think in terms of the debate, we've seen some real train wrecks of debates lately, right? You remember that one the Conservative Party of Canada tried to do federally? Uh, it was just awful. It was it was." It was embarrassing, really. Um, this one last night was pretty good. I thought it was, you know, in terms of debates, it didn't end up with a bunch of people yelling at each other, which is part of the problem. And, uh, yeah, I, as far as debate formats go, I like that one. I hope they stick with it. Uh, but winners or losers? Not sure. Let's chat now with uh, Melissa Cowett, who is a Western Canadian public policy professional and the principal of MC Consulting. Uh, Melissa, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Shay. Now, overall, what did you think? I mean, let's start with just the format of the debate. Interesting that they got to choose who they engaged with. I thought it worked quite well. Yeah, and it, it really allowed the candidates to take a more strategic approach to who they were debating with. If you'll remember the first debate um, in Medicine Hat a few weeks back, a lot of the candidates, maybe still in denial about Danielle Smith's lead, chose her to debate with. And what that did is that really only gave her more of a platform to talk about her ideas and actually ended up showing her as the front runner of the debate. So it was very interesting. A lot of the candidates opted not to give her that opportunity, yeah. recognizing that she, she is doing very well with membership and is probably the front runner in this race at this time. Yeah, and the format, like you say, really lends itself to, like, I don't, I'm not alleging any collusion that the candidates got together and decided to sort of freeze her out, but that ultimately was the effect because, like you say, nobody invited her to the dance, so she was sort of forced, by and large, to sit on the sidelines until her turn came up. Absolutely. And you ended up hearing actually from candidates that you didn't hear a lot from last time. So you heard a lot from Todd Lowen. You heard a lot from Sonny, from Ahir. Um, you know, interesting because if you look at the way that the format was set up, you could almost tell if you hadn't even been paying attention in this race who the front runners were because they weren't the ones that were given the opportunity to talk as much. So it was really, um, it was really those candidates that um, are vying for, you know, down ballot support that, that had the opportunity to chat more often, which, you know, I think from a party building perspective is a good thing because it, it gives the membership an opportunity to see the entire bench strength of the party versus just the people that are at the top, because we know all of those people are important. And we always talk about knockout punches and winning points and the soundbite that everyone's going to remember. I don't know if there was one last night, Melissa. Did anything stand out to you? Did anybody win or lose this debate clearly in your mind? I don't think so. I mean, Ahir had made, um, or I, was it low, and I can't even remember now, had made a, a funny bullcrap joke. That was Ahir, um, Ahir, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it stood, stood out to me. Um, the Really, the only kind of relatively big punch was um, the back and forth between Smith and Taves surrounding the Sovereignty Act. You know, Smith um, defending the Sovereignty Act as, as a way to just be treated fairly, like Quebec is within Confederation, and her going after Taves 
about some of the ideas that he's put forward on this topic and how they wouldn't work either. So it really was surrounding the the defining ballot question in this rage, which with which is Alberta's place in Canada and and sovereignty act adjacent uh, policy areas. It's interesting though, Melissa, because like you say, um, I thought Taves did a pretty nice job of saying, okay, which one is it? Uh, which sovereignty act are you talking about? The version that really does nothing and just sort of sits there and says, we've got a sovereignty act? Or is it the one that turns this province on its head and causes absolute chaos and causes investment and money to flee? But to me, those messages have been said before, right? I mean, by many, many people, ranging from the premier to all kinds of different um, analysts and pundits and talking heads. It doesn't seem to matter, though. That's the interesting thing. It doesn't seem to be changing the whole tone of this campaign. It It's still there. It's still the main talking point. It's not like people realize that oh, okay, maybe this doesn't make any sense. It's still there. It's still there. And, you know, a lot of these other candidates have been behind the eight ball on recognizing where the sentiment is within the party right now. Smith came out with a bang, you know, months ago, earlier in this campaign with this idea. She was the first person, whether you like this idea or not, it's not my favorite idea personally, but that's really irrelevant when it comes to political strategy. She came out with this idea. She was the first one to have a big idea that really resonated with membership. And so she's actually been able to let her foot off the gas a little bit on some of the rhetoric yeah. there. Of course, she still talks about some of these ideas depending on what room she's in. But she's really been able to take the opportunity to um, to moderate her position in this campaign because she so early took that chance that really paid off for her. So I think that you see candidates like Taves trying to find sort of at the 11th hour of this race an issue like that that they can grab onto, so a defining issue that will really mobilize the membership. But, you know, from a strategic perspective, I think it is probably too late for something like that. So you do see them trying to sort of go for the support that Smith has appeared to already lock up. So so that that is definitely very interesting. But Taze is just more of a, um, he's more offering more of a consistent approach, which is, I think, a, a valuable perspective mm-hmm, for sure. sure. I think a lot of people really crave consistency in politics um, nowadays, but it's just it, it's opened up a can of worms. Many of the other candidates have jumped on it. And so it's really, I think, hard for for anybody to to compete with Smith when it comes to that. And a lot of talk about how what we're seeing now at this point is people jockeying for number two on the ballot. That's sort of what a lot... I mean, you got Taves and, and Smith, I think, they're they're still gunning to be the number one choice on a lot of ballots. Everybody else is trying to do the Stelmack, Redford, I'm second or third on the ballot, but you know what? That's enough to put me in the seat. How does that work? Just walk us through this um, preferential ballot system that they're using in this leadership race and why second place, for in some cases, might be just the ticket. Sure. So the way that members are voting in this race is that they will receive a ballot um, on Friday. They'll be they'll be mailed out, and you'll have to rank from one to seven who you want in this race. To win on the first ballot, you need a candidate needs to win with more than fifty percent of the vote. That's quite difficult to do because that means you need more than 50% of the people who vote to rank you as number one. So if that doesn't happen, we go down the ballot. So the lowest number of ballots drops off and you continue to go down. So really the, the candidates are hoping to lock up as much support as they can at each round. So for somebody like, for example, Schultz, who is maybe not as many people's first choice as Smith and Taves, is enough of a candidate that could appeal to both 
Taves number two voters and Smith number two voters, that she could end up locking up a lot of support on that second ballot and, um, you know, could potentially continue to, to rack up support as the ballot goes down. So if this thing goes to, you know, the fourth round, less polarizing candidates, as you mentioned, was the case with the Stelmack leadership election. Yeah, yeah. Less polarizing candidates can really lock up support just without making too many waves. So I think if we're looking at candidates that could be the dark horse or have that opportunity. From my perspective, it's really a race probably between Schultz and, and Gene, even though he wouldn't be considered as much of a dark horse because he's got more sure. of a history. But I think Schultz is that person to watch. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that... And, and I think she had some impressive moments yesterday, and I think Ahir got a little bit of praise for some of the things she did, especially around culture um, and the ministry that she used to be in charge of with Travis Taves. But it'll be interesting to watch. So do you anticipate, I mean, not like you said, ballots go out on the 2nd, uh, have to be returned by the 3rd, and the vote goes on the 6th of October. I mean, how much change do you think? Is every Everybody pretty much locked in at this point, Melissa? I think so. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think that if there were going to be any sort of big bang in policy, we would have seen it last night. Really, at this point, candidates are just going to work on making sure that all of the memberships they've sold vote, and it's really that get-out-the-vote strategy at this point. Nobody, there, there will be no new members that can purchase um, memberships to be eligible in this race. So it's really just about locking up existing support and not doing anything silly right. before people put their ballots in the mail, right? Like not doing anything that would really turn people off, especially for somebody like Schultz, who does have that opportunity for, for second ballot support. Yeah, into the home stretch now. Uh, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time.